Thank you for tuning in into the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. If you would like to get connected, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or email us at downtown.podcast at newlifechurch.tv. You know what the last message we preached March 8th, 2020, before we went into lockdown was? It was about unity in the body of Christ. Isn't that crazy? And then you look at the year we've had and the dissensions that we've had in the body. You know, I think this word is, is just as relevant, if not more relevant right now than it was uh, about 18 months ago. You know, th- this past year has been difficult for so many different reasons. And, and what we're going to do is I'm going to go through this word. These are my notes from last year. I've added a couple things. But what I want you guys to think about is I want you to, to put the lens of hindsight on. Like think about hearing this before the pandemic. And then think about it now, looking back at everything that we, we went through. And so I think if we're going to talk about unity, we have to talk about unity under what, right? If we're talking about obedience, we've got to talk about obedience to what? Uh, unity, we're unified under the name of Jesus, but it's not just belief in Jesus, but it's a commitment to following after Jesus and becoming like Jesus. This is what the Bible calls the call to discipleship or the call to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said, even the demons believe that I am who I say that I am. But what I've called you to do is not just believe, but then follow and commit your life to a life of discipleship. Uh, We've had some difficulties in the past 18 months. Amen? Can I get a little praise hand? Yep. Uh, I was listening to a message yesterday. and This is a quote from a guy named John Tyson. He's one of my favorite pastors right now. He said, most people think that the defining problem in America today is a political problem or a moral problem or an economic problem. I want to make the claim that it's primarily a discipleship problem. Because those issues are done often by Christians and people who claim to follow Jesus. Y'all, I wonder... How many of you guys have had a tough year this past year? Maybe just even in your walk with God. And I wonder how many of those things have been a product of a lack of unity within the church and a lack of a commitment to discipleship. You know, when, when I look at our church, you know, something, I'm just going to be transparent. Uh, I don't know any other way to be. Um, I think the number one thing that, that we've been working on, I know that over the past three years, but now are especially working on is how can we become disciple to become more like Jesus within our church? Oh, we don't just want to be a crowd. I don't know what you came here for. Uh, you know, D- Jesus didn't come to build crowds. B- Jesus came to build followers and he came to build communities and he came to, to build places where people could find hope and they could find freedom. And so I want to give you some vision uh, going forward into this year, y'all. This is what we're committed to. We're, we're committed to discipleship, which means we're committed to learning to walk like Jesus. And so uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you could go ahead and turn to it with me. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 27. But before we do that, I, I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to Philippians and a warning. Okay? 
this is gonna be a little bit more of a lecture this morning. I know what y'all are used to here at New Life Church. A lot of times uh, it's a lot more preaching than teaching. This morning's gonna be a little bit of teaching. So I hope you brought something to take notes with, your iPhone, maybe you got some notes on the way in. Uh, statistics say that the people who take notes, 90%, uh, if you take notes, you have a 90% better chance of getting into heaven when you die. And so uh, go ahead. Uh, get some notes out. Okay, the, the book of Philippians, it was written by the apostle Paul. Paul was a former persecutor of the church and Christianity and the gospel, but he became a great spiritual leader and church planner. Uh, imagine this. Imagine there is someone outside of our church who is killing us, like us, like our friends, people that we know well, our leaders, our pastors. And then imagine we have a board meeting and that cat shows up and says, I want to help build the church. You're, you're nervous. Okay, that is what happened with the Apostle Paul. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being a builder of the church and actually one of the main architects of what became the early church. Uh, this book, Philippians, was written in around AD 60 to 62. Uh, Paul planted this church in 50 AD on his second missionary journey. Um, and he planted this church as a response to vision that God gave him. Have you ever been certain that you were going to do something, and then in your walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit stopped you and said, nah, I don't want you to do that, right? Like, you're, you're about to start dating somebody, and you're like, ooh, they're beautiful. They've got everything I'm looking for. And the Holy Spirit checks you and says, I, I want you to take a step back from that. But like, you're like, God, have you seen this woman, right? You're missing it. This is what's going on, not that exact scenario. But but Paul has vision and things that he wants to do, and the Holy Spirit stops him. Look at Acts 16, 9 through 10. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so he went, he planted this church, and it's an amazing church. This is the church at Philippi. The city of Philippi is located at the gateway between Europe and Asia. Okay, and it's like a miniature Rome. Uh, this is a large colony. It has a lot of Roman citizens, and they were a lot of wealthy people because there were nearby gold mines, uh, silver mines, uh, the major theme of the book of Philippians, uh, this is important, is citizenship in heaven. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that although you're a citizen of the city of Philippi, although you're a Roman citizen and there's benefits that come with that, even greater than that, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven under the kingship of Jesus, and this gives you rights and freedoms and things that you never dreamed of. He's saying consider yourself a citizen of heaven. And so I think this message is relevant for us today. How often do we consider ourselves first a kingdom, uh, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and second, our allegiances to other places? Place of writing, he wrote this letter in prison. He wrote this letter in prison. Philippians is a prison epistle. An epistle is a letter written on a scroll. Uh, it was written from prison. Yo, we, we felt like, and I say this lightly, okay, this is not a political statement. We, we felt like we were in prison last year, right? From March until whenever, <laughs> whatever point. Uh, yo, Paul, Paul was literally in prison. 
and he turned his prison into a platform. I wonder for you in this past year through, through struggles, through difficulties, through, through feeling like you're locked down in prison, I wonder how many of us, if I'm honest, this is not something that I aced, but I wonder how many of us saw our difficulties as an opportunity to advance the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul does. He uses his prison for a purpose. You know, we talked about a couple weeks ago the power of being present. Everybody say present. Are you still with me? I haven't bored you to death yet? Okay, good. Uh, power of being present. You know, th- there is power to just being where you're at and asking God what he wants you to do. Too many Christians are focused on where they want to be or where they hope to be or what they think is in the next season, and they miss the moments that they're in. What the Apostle Paul, much like Michael Jordan, was amazing at <laughs> is always being where he was at. Michael Jordan even says, people, when they talk about him, his gift was he was present wherever he was. The Apostle Paul was present where he was at. Now, there's an analogy from one of my favorite authors, a guy named Tim Keller. Uh, in about the 17, 1800s, there was a huge rise in something called alchemy. Who's heard of alchemy? Alchemy is when you take a useless, cheap substance and you expose it to other chemicals and you attempt to turn it into gold, which is valuable, right? The gospel is that God can take the lead, the worthless things in our life, and turn it into gold on our behalf to further his kingdom, to further the things that he wants to do in our life. And so here's my question for you. We're going to talk about unity. We're going to talk about discipleship. But I wonder, before we go into that, are there some areas where you need to have faith that God can turn lead into gold? Let's go back to the Apostle Paul. Okay. (laughs) He was chained to a Praetorian guard, okay? So what this meant was that some unlucky cat, some unlucky Roman had to be chained to the greatest evangelist that history has ever seen. And historians say that they had a problem. The people who were chained to Paul ended up coming to faith, and so they were constantly having to change out his guard. It was a real issue. Why? Because he took his prison and he brought it under the purpose of God. Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is anywhere in your life where you come under the lordship of Jesus. And so if you're under the lordship of Jesus, anywhere you go, we're gonna talk about this later, the kingdom of God advances with you. You bring the hope of the gospel into the darkest places on earth. And it's a light that nothing and no one can extinguish. Y'all listen, you can either surrender to a cause or you can surrender to your circumstances. You can surrender to a cause or you can surrender to your circumstances. Paul was sold out for the cause. Philippians 1, 12 through 13 says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What a perspective. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I'm in chains for Christ. Yo, what a testimony. When he says that he's in chains for Christ, that's not a euphemism. He was literally in chains. So where do you need God to turn lead into gold? Okay, go with me. Philippians 1.27. This is me, our main text. That was all set up. That was preamble, and we're 14 minutes in. Buckle up. I'm going to go a little bit longer today. 
Philippians 1, 27, here's what it says. It says, above all, you must live as citizens in heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come, this is Paul talking to them, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together in one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, that it's effective. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. We honor you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for putting all this in motion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Jubilee. See ya. (laughs) Uh, uh, I got a meme. We haven't done memes of the week in a while. So check, check this out. Is this technically a meme? I think it is. Uh, if you pack your clothes up and put it in the drawer at your hotel, you are a serial killer. Where are my serial killers at? I got my hand up. Uh, I see a few people. Okay, who does it if you're on a one-night stay? Like one night, you're putting your stuff up. Okay, I see you guys. You guys are actually uh, dangerous people. Okay, where, where, are my, where are my two-night people? Like if you got two nights, that's me. Two nights is my limit. Me and my wife, we're unified on that. You know, something about my marriage. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. You know, like it's just flawless and it's, it's a fairy tale, you know, in fact. We never have struggles and, you know, I'm hoping that this will rub off on you guys. You know, as your pastors, you know, we just have this perfect relationship and maybe you guys can get past all the strife and, and really become more like us. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, Yo, we have to work hard in our relationships. Anybody you look at and you think their marriage is perfect, it comes easy for them, y'all, they're putting in hard work to try to maintain their relationships. And y'all, one of the most important things in a marriage is unity between a husband and wife. Not just for themselves, although that's important, that's, that's big for keeping the marriage together, but also for their children. Why? Because if you are not unified, your children will play you like a fiddle to get what they want, right? If mom says no, they're going to go to dad. But if they find that they found the impenetrable wall of the unity of their parents that's going to keep them from getting one over, right? At some point, they're going to realize, man, my parents are a team. And actually, they're going to respect you more for it. Yo, God has called us into unity in marriage, and it's important in marriage, but it's essential in the church. God has called us to be unified as the church. Why? Why is that important? Because, y'all, the outside world is looking at us, and they're trying to figure out if there's anything different about us. They're, they're, trying to, they're, they're looking at us, and they're trying to see, hey, is the faith that they profess, does it actually make a difference in the way that they live, the way that they love each other, the way they talk about each other? You know, the, the, the reason you have unity in marriage is because you're in covenant together, right? That's a commitment. Yo, did you know that we as the church are in covenant together? We're in commitment together, and our goal is to show Listen to me, this is huge. That there is an entirely different way to be human. That actually through walking with God, we become better, truer, and fuller human beings. You know, I fundamentally believe that the the word of God, the calls of God, the filling of the Holy Spirit actually brings us into our fullest potential. We talked about this 
a little bit last week. But can you imagine God looking down on his children, God looking down on his church, and it's like they're arguing on the internet, right? This is the equivalent of getting in a fight with your spouse in the front yard. Like nobody wants to see that. But come on, how many internet arguments have we seen between Christ followers? We're going to talk about how we need to look at this. And remember, I preached this before the pandemic. (laughs) These are notes from last year. I wonder how many things like this we've fallen into. I wonder if you've fallen into any places like this where you've actually downgraded your citizenship from first being a citizen of heaven, first being committed to other Christians, first having unity within the body, first being committed to the covenant people of God. So what causes disunity? We're going to look at three things. What causes disunity? Number one, it's differences. We are not always real swell at accepting each other's differences, right? Romans 15, 5 through 7, it says, May God who gives endurance, everybody say endurance, and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, accept one another then as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Uh, Something that I have my staff do, I have my team do, is personality tests. Okay, anybody in here like personality tests? Okay, where are my Myers-Briggs people at? All right, where are my Enneagram people at? Okay, into a little witchcraft? Okay, we'll we'll pray for you. (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) Enneagram's fine. Uh, The disc test, anybody like the disc test? Uh, I love the disc test. I, I don't know why I love it, but I feel like it just helps me understand myself. The, the Enneagram, I've taken that thing like three or four times, and I have no idea what I am. Okay, that's why I make fun of it. Uh, but the disc test, it, it nails me down. And so I have our staff go through that because, y'all, so often conflicts in life are not actually personal issues, but they're differences in personalities, It's important for us to seek to understand each other, to understand each other's differences, to understand the different ways that we approach the world. I wonder if there's anyone that you've lost unity with over differences. Like, it's just just different. Different personality, different way of approaching things. Uh, You know, Chris O, I, I love him. He's not here, so I can pick on him a little bit. Uh, Chris O is a high I personality. He is outgoing. He's the life of the party. He's a storyteller. I'm a high D personality. And high D personalities and high I personalities work really together, but we have different value systems. And so every Friday, uh, (laughs) Chris and I have an appointment, and we just talk through things. We talk through how we're perceiving things, what we're perceiving different ways. And you know what? We don't always agree. That's right. Pastors in the church don't always agree. But we fight for unity and try to understand each other. We do this with all of our team members. So I wonder what this could look like within your family. Like, I wonder if any of you guys are having major tension in your marriages, major tension with your children, major tension with, Lord, help us, your in-laws, right? I wonder if any of that could be personality differences. I wonder if any of that could be solved just by seeking to understand the other person. So what causes disunity? Number one, differences. Number two, disagreements. Who knows, differences often bring disagreements. 
with family, with friends, with coworkers, with bosses. Psalm 133.1, it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Um, you know, we, we all have different ways that we handle disagreements. Sometimes there are disagreements and we don't even want to talk to the person, right? Like they don't even know that we've had a disagreement. That's not fair, right? Like there's a rift in the relationship and the other person doesn't even know why. Listen, I have done this. We have all done this. So, so what happens when there's a disagreement but there's no conversation? We make assumptions, right? That other person is prideful. They're emotional. I'm not even going to bother talking to them. They're too emotional. I'm not going to deal with it. They're not open. They're going to overreact. So we don't communicate. We get scared of confrontation. You know, my problem is when I get in this, I can just write somebody off and just say, I'm done. They can go do their thing. I'll do my thing. I don't think that's the way God would have us do it. You know, there are certain indicators for when we need to confront problems. There are certain indicators for when we need to confront problems. First indicator is when we're tempted to vent and complain about the other person. None of y'all have ever done that, right? You've never vented about somebody else in your life. <laughs> Why does it matter? The, the scripture has a different word for vent, and it's gossip. <laughs> and it actually defines it as sin. And it actually says, like, if we gossip and talk about each other like that, we're no different than the world. Let's be believers who bring things to each other, who talk, about it, talk to each other. Don't complain about them. Talk to them. Number two, you don't even want to see them. Like, I don't want to see your stupid face. I don't want to see your stupid haircut, <laughs> stupid shoes, you know, whatever, whatever. Whatever it is. You, like, when you see them coming, you don't even want to talk to them. Y'all, that's a good indicator that you need to talk to them. You need to talk about what's going on. Number three, you make assumptions about them. Y'all, this is the most subtle one. This is the most difficult one to pinpoint. But you just, just, start, you just start assuming bad things about them. You just start assuming that they're going to react a certain way, or you just start assuming that they did things for a certain reason. It's a good time to talk. Because when we don't talk, there's no opportunity to explain heart. Number one, differences. Number two, disagreements. Number three, dislikes. This one is hilarious within the church, okay? There are some <laughs> church split stories that I've heard, and I'm gonna share two of them with you today. Uh, dislikes, just purely over dislikes. Like, I don't want the keyboard there. I want the keyboard here, and if we can't sort this out, I'm getting my tribe, and I'm leaving, right? <laughs> there, there was a church I heard about, and it wasn't a keyboard, it was like a piano. And they disagreed, literally, that was a disagreement. One group thought it should be there. I guess maybe it was an acoustical issue. One group thought it should be there. Maybe it was an ambiance thing that they were going for. And so the factions started trying to beat each other to church so they could move the piano to other sides. And at one point, it escalated so bad that there was a tug of war b between the two sides. And the church split over piano placement, right? You can't make this stuff up. The church that I grew up in went through a church split because the pastor decided, you know what? It's the 20th century. I think I'm going to quit wearing the robes. And he showed up the next week in a suit and tie in the church split. Can you imagine if I had walked into the church to preach? They would have arrested me. Arrest that man, right? Uh, <laughs> 
And so the other thing he did that was just an abomination is he, he tried to have a contemporary worship service where people could use their gifts, you know, maybe in a way that made sense to them. Uh, also an issue, so they took a vote, had a church split, and boom, one of the most influential churches in the area split, ran the pastor out of town. It was a terrible deal. Uh, y'all, I'm really tempted, but I'm not going to do it for your sake because we're going to be here a full hour, but y'all... There is a theology behind the reasons that worship progresses and changes. And if you're interested in that, we have something called Connect Class. I'd love for you guys to come out to Connect Class to hear about more of our church, uh, how we handle these sorts of things. And so, okay, y'all, listen. What causes disunity? Number one, differences. Number two, disagreements. Number three, dislikes. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says this. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is us, the people of God, the church. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Listen, there may some, be somebody out there you just don't like them. Like, I don't, I don't like you. Maybe because of pride or insecurity or anger or hurt. Somebody's always rubbed you the wrong way. But listen, y'all, it starts with you. Don't wait for them. Don't wait for them. It starts with you. Fight for unity in our families, with our kids, y'all. been praying this over your family today in the church, in our friendships. Y'all, disunity is a sickness that can consume, overwhelm, and destroy a church. So how do we fight for unity? We fight for unity, number one. I'm gonna go through four things here. By having one Lord. Philippians 1, 27 says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about who? About Christ. Look at this, what N.T. Wright said. He's one of the leading New Testament scholars. That's why I changed his name to N.T. New Testament Wright. That's not true. That's a joke. Okay, here's what it says. It says, new creation itself has begun. They're saying this, and it will be completed. Jesus is ruling over that new creation and making it happen through the witness of his church. Now listen to this. The ruler of this world has been overthrown. The powers of the world have been led behind Jesus' triumphal procession as a beaten, bedraggled rabble. I love that talks about in Colossians that sin has been subject to open shame. What that imagery is, is back in ancient times when you defeated someone, you stripped them naked and you made them walk through the streets. What this scripture is saying is death and sin and the devil has been stripped naked by Christ and has no power, has no stronghold in this world. And now the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And that, N.T. Wright says, is how God is becoming king on earth as it is in heaven. That is the truth the Gospels are eager to tell us. We are under the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. We find unity under that lordship and under that kingship. He's a good, a gracious, 
He's a good and a gracious leader and king. Um, if Jesus is our king, then our mission and our purpose has to be the same as his, right? So if Jesus is our king, what did Jesus come to do? He came to love and liberate people. So then what has he called us to be unified under? What's the mission? To love and to liberate people. So if Jesus is our king, our purpose is the same as him, which is to love people. And then our goal is the same, which is heaven on earth. You're going to hear us say it a lot. Our prayer in this church is, God, let it be in Little Rock. Let your kingdom come in Little Rock as it is in heaven. We're united church under the lordship of Jesus with a love for his people and a commitment to becoming like him. One of my favorite pastors, he always says, this is one of his things, and I steal it shamelessly. (laughs) He says, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and learn to do what Jesus would do if he were you. That's what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus. Simplify it. Spend time with him in his word, with his people. Through that, start becoming like him. Last week, we talked about good pretending, imagining yourself like him, and trying to walk that out. So that, number three, you can start doing what he would do if he were you. So we have one Lord. That's how we fight for unity, by having one Lord. Number two, one enemy. Uh, Philippians 1, 28. It says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but you're going to be saved even by God himself. Let me read another verse to you. So we got to define enemies, right? If we're going to look at that, we got to figure out who are our enemies. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Translation, people are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Listen, your spouse, no matter how much it feels like it sometimes, is not your enemy. Your ex-wife, your ex-husband's not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. A political party or politician's not your enemy. That coworker, that manager, that employee, they're not your enemy. They are an opportunity for ministry, right? Remember the Apostle Paul. He's chained to his enemy by the world's standard, but he's still loving him. He's sharing the love of God, the gospel with him. You know, I wonder, is there anyone in your life, maybe inside of the church, maybe a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ who you've labeled as an enemy, and you've got broken covenant, you've got broken relationship with there, y'all. If we start fighting amongst ourselves, that's the number one thing the real enemy of our souls wants. He wants us disunified. Is it possible that there's someone that you consider your enemy who's not your enemy? Don't fight the wrong battles, guys. Let's know what the right battles are. So we've got to have one Lord, that's Jesus. We've got to have one enemy, the devil. We've got to have one heart. Philippians 1.27, I know that you're standing together with one spirit. A couple verses later, chapter 2, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by having the same love, being in one spirit, in one mind. Your unity is not uniformity. What does that mean? We don't have to have the same personality to have unity. We don't have to have the same strengths as unity. 
to have unity. We don't have to have the same style to have unity. Listen, you don't have to. I, one guy said, I don't wear enough leather to go to New Life Church downtown. That's like, that's like 5% of the church, you know? Like, they're just the influencers. They're on Instagram, all right? That's not all of us. You don't have to have that same style to have unity. You don't have to agree necessarily to have unity. Listen, it's not about preferences. It's about pursuit. It's not about preferences. It's about pursuit. My wife and I, uh, if I want to stay up, she's ready to go to bed. All right, that's never how it happens because I'm asleep by nine o'clock every night. I am a 70-year-old man in here. <laughs> I'm still trying to convince Neil. He'll be like, have you seen this TikToks? No, Neil. I don't even understand. He, he explained TikTok to me about a month ago. I didn't get it. I downloaded it. I'm like, where are my friends? How do I find my friends? Which is like the ultimate old guy thing to say. He's like, no, Bronson, it's not about your friends. I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> In marriage, if one of us wants to save, the other one wants to spend. Where are my spenders at? This little confession moment, okay? She wants to go on a walk. I do not want to go on a walk. Men, what is that about us? Then we go on the walk, and we're like, you know, this is nice. We should do this more often. She's like, that's what I've been saying. But the next time she asks... If I want Mexican food, she doesn't know what she wants, but it is not that. And I don't want Mexican we have a rule. I was like, Callie, if you don't want to do that, I need a suggestion for what you want. Y'all, I'm going to try to land the plane here. We've got a few more things we're going to walk through, and then I'm going to give you an analogy at the end. Um, but I want to talk about essentials versus non-essentials. Have you ever wondered about that? Okay, we talk about that all the time, but what are they? <laughs> like, there's closed-handed issues, there's open-handed issues. What are those things? Okay, I, I've done a little bit of work. I, did we get it up there? Uh, let's do behavior first. Don't put it up there quite yet, though. Uh, so there, there are historical Christian beliefs, okay? There are things Christians have believed for 2,000 years. They've stayed consistent. Uh, they're consistent within the Word. It is just a part of being a Christian. Most of those things stay the same, all right? There's some peripheral stuff. Like at one point, Christians thought the earth was flat, and it was a big deal. They were wrong. If you still think that, you're wrong. It's okay to be wrong. We'll pray for you, okay? Okay. Uh, and then another point, we thought that the, the earth was actually the center point of the universe, and then we've seen, no, that's not actually true. And so there's peripheral stuff that Christians have believed that, that does shift over time, but y'all, there are core things that we believe that we have to hold on to. I, I saw a tweet a couple months ago that said, tradition is peer pressure from dead people, which sounds great. <laughs> Unless you're really trying to live deeply and intentionally within community, that person, I bet, does not have a lot of responsibility when it comes to community formation, right? It's let's throw out all the traditions and start over. It's like, yeah, that always goes really well. Let's do that. No, we need roots, right? We need foundation. Tradition is not a bad thing. It's when we become religious and we don't continue to move forward, right? So let's, let's talk about a few things. There's, there's behavioral, I would say, 10 essential Christian behaviors and then 10 essential Christian beliefs. So I think we've got them up there. Could you put, could you put it up there? I hope you guys have good eyesight. Okay, go back to the other one. The behaviors, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read through these. It's things we need to believe as Christians, or behaviors we need to have. Uh, number one, we repent and turn from our sins. This is part of being a Christian. We repent and we turn from our sins. Number two, we forgive others. 
Number three, we're undivided in our devotion to God and to Jesus Christ. Now remember, as I'm reading through these things, there's earning and there's effort, right? There's earning and there's effort. These are things we're efforting towards. This is not how we earn our salvation. This is effort to try to be like God. Number four, we publicly acknowledge Jesus before others. Number five, we obey God's commands and we don't make a practice of sinning. Number six, we live a life that's fruitful and not fleshy. Number seven, we're humble and brokenhearted for our sin. Number eight, we love God and we love others. Number nine, we must persevere in the, in the faith. And number 10, we help our natural family and church family when there are physical needs. Okay, so those are essential behaviors. Let's go to essential beliefs. Number one, we must be born again by the Spirit of God. Number two, Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Son of God, the one that all the scriptures point to, prophesy about, and are fulfilled by. Number three, the benefits of the gospel come by faith, not by the works of the law. Number four, salvation comes from Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest, the radiance of God's glory and our brother in the flesh. Number five, stick with me. God exists and rewards those who seek him. Number six, we're saved by Jesus Christ and him crucified. Number seven, the good news of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and he appeared to many witnesses. Number eight, Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected and our bodies will one day res be resurrected. We believe in life after death. Number eight, number nine, uh, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated, vindicated by the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. And number 10, this is my favorite one. God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Yo, we have to have our unity displayed through unified beliefs and a unified heart. Acts 4.32, all believers were in one heart and one what? Mind. Remember the first message that we preached in this series. Remember the shallow soil. The shallow soil was the emotional soil that doesn't engage with the mind. We've got to engage with our mind, understand what we believe. God sent Jesus to be a visible representation of unity between him and the Father. Last thing, number four, we gotta have one purpose, and I'm gonna land the plane here. I wanna read a quote to you from Richard B. Hayes. He said, one cannot follow Jesus according to the gospel except by becoming a part of a community that he trained to carry out his mission in the world. Y'all, I've heard this so many times. Maybe you've heard this before. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need, right? That's not the story of the scripture. That's not the faith that Jesus called us to. It's not just me and God, it's us and God. This 
is the purpose of the gospel. Y'all, there's no other context for your faith than to be lived out with other people. We have one purpose. That's the mission of God within the community of God. Y'all, so much of the New Testament, listen, and I'm going to get a little punchy here, but it's because I love you. So much of the New Testament assumes that you're a member of a church. Yo, there are seasons when you church shop, right? Got the shopping cart, checking out, you know, what you want. There's seasons for that. We all have to do that. If I moved to a new city, I would do that. But at some point, we've got to find a church to commit to. We've got to find a church to commit to, a people to belong to. And then with that commitment, there come certain commands. We're going to talk more about that as we go into the fall. But why is that important? In order, uh, in order for us to walk in the mission of God, we've got to be united in the purpose of God. We're called to be a visible representation of a new way to live. Not shackled by guilt and shame, but freed by the love of Jesus. Uh, I, w- I want to close the illustration here. Um, there's a holiday that now has become popular. And I actually, honestly, a few years ago, I'd never heard of it. It's a holiday called Juneteenth. We celebrated this uh, two months ago uh, as a community and around the nation. And, uh, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. Uh, on January 1st, 1863, uh, Abraham Lincoln issued something called the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation was a proclamation that all the slaves in the Union and in the, the Southern states were to be freed. So this word went out. Okay, let's put a pin there. Do you remember in the scripture where it says that we have to have faith? If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, it can move a mountain. When God does something, it often starts small, but it spreads and it grows and it does amazing things over time. See, Abraham Lincoln spoke this out, but then the Union armies had to go out and they had to conquer the territories. And every inch of land that they got, if a slave was on that land, that slave then became free and then could have the opportunity to join the Union Army, they then go liberate others. It took three and a half years, June 19th, 1866, for it to reach Galveston, Texas. It took them that long to take the ground to get to Galveston, Texas, so the slaves in Galveston could actually receive the freedom that had been proclaimed three and a half years earlier. Yo, this is the same way it works with the mission of God and the church of God. Yo, we are to go out. God has proclaimed, God has spoken that sin and death has been defeated by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we as the people of God go and we carry this gospel. We liberate people. We tell them, hey, there's a new king. There's a new way in order. And you can actually join this family. It's called the church. And not only that, you can be a part of the mission of liberating other people. Y'all, this is our purpose in Jesus. It's to share this truth. It's to spread this gospel. And the number one thing the enemy can do to keep us from doing it and to make us ineffective is to disunify us as a people, as a force, and as the army of God. So I have two questions for you. Number one, is there anything as we've been going through this message that God spoke to you this morning? Is anything God's tugging on your heart? I want you to take some time, write that down. We're about to go into a time of response. Think about that. What's God speaking to you? What's God asking you to do? Are there any relationships God asking you to go and heal? Are there any spots in your heart 
where you've not given full lordship to Jesus. What's he asking you to do? What's he pulling on you? And what's he asking you to do about it? Number two, what's God speaking to you? Number two, what's God asking you to do about it? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your church. God, we thank you that this is your plan, your mission to spread your gospel and spread your truth. God, our hearts are open. God, we ask that you would speak to us. As the worship team comes forward, guys, if there's anybody in here and you're in a place in life where you just be honest and say, man, like right now, I'm just not even close to God. Like that's my first obstacle. Maybe you've drifted from God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God, but you just want prayer. And you want to take a step and say, hey, I, I, I want to I pull closer to him. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. I want to pray for you. I see 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 you. I'm going to give you one more moment. Anybody else? I see you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Let's stand to our feet all across the room. We're going to go into a time of response. The worship team is going to lead us here for a moment. But I just want us to pray together. This is a, a, a prayer. It's a proclamation, really, a confession of faith. Let's just pray. Say, Jesus, all of us across the room, say, Jesus, we believe that you are who you say you are. We recognize that we are not where we want to be. But God, we believe that you love us. God, you love me right where I am. But God, you love me too much to leave me here. God, I want to walk with you. I want to come under your lordship and expand your kingdom. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, come on, y'all, that's a good place to give the Lord a hand. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. Just want to say thank you for listening in. Uh, our hope and our prayer is that this podcast equips you on your walk, your journey with Jesus. And so please like, subscribe, share, help us spread the word. We love you.